This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. How's the soup? Excuse me? The soup. How is it? it's, It's great. It's great. Could you pass the salt? Sure. Did you have a hard time finding the house? Oh, no. No, it's no problem. Then... Do you like eating in here? Oh, yeah. You don't know the truth? I don't think I've ever been in this room before. (laughs) Do you want to get out of here? Yes. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will follow his journey in the pages of the 90s 2000 ongoing Robin series and other notable comics of that era. We will also take a look at other Tim Drake appearances in DC Comics, new and old, to find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. Welcome to episode 89. This podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman, whom is celebrating 80 years, and Tim Drake that is celebrating 30 years. We're part of the Batman Podcast Network. You can find us over there at batmanpodcastnetwork.com. You can get a hold of us on all the social media outlets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can email into the show at robineltdpodcast at yahoo.com. And also check out our Facebook page. And with us today is my good buddy, Terrence O'Neill. How are you doing today, sir? 
Hey, I'm doing great, uh, Rob. And uh, I almost said Ryan, <laughs> but uh, uh, sorry, because I was about to say Ryan is not with us here today. Unfortunately, he can't make yeah. it. But but part of why we wanted to have a, a, a three team show was, you know, that if one of us can't make it, the show goes on. And it's not mm-hmm. just one of us talking to themselves for an hour and a half, which is <laughs> I, it's been done. done. Yeah, yeah, it's been done. I wanted to mention something real quick right off the bat. And that is I wasn't able to make a couple of episodes back in November and December. And, and uh, Rob and Ryan really picked up the, the baton, the torch, the comic book, whatever you want to say, and, <laughs> and ran with it and, and filled in for me. And it was kind of fun when those episodes came out because I got to kind of listen as a fan, like back in the old days it's different when you're on it and then you listen and you're you're the way you listen is just totally different yeah if you're just listening to a podcast it was a lot of fun but one thing i noticed is that and you probably just heard this listeners is that before the episode there is a commercial for the batmanuniverse.net's um uh patreon yeah and i just want to let everybody know if they support the batman.net universe.net that money doesn't go to rob and i that's not our uh patreon that's that's the the batman universe.net who hosts our podcast and they host a lot of other podcasts and that go money goes to help dustin pay for the cost of running the the site and and having ours up and then small fee it's not a lot but the small fee that he charges us to be on there hopefully that can be smaller or non-existent at all if um people uh support it so i just wanted to say if you do support the patreon which i highly recommend and the reason why is because you listen to this podcast or some of the other podcasts on the network uh when you support it in the patreon just just send an email or just send a little note in the link saying which podcast you listen to and or that it's you heard it on uh, the drake so that they know that like we're we're doing our part and we're not the 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 anchor bringing down the ship here of the website but it is a great website it's a great to get a lot of great reviews and um, especially with what's going on in the comics and the, the merchandise oh, yeah. and the news and, and lots of great stuff. Um, and speaking of news, our, this is our 89th episode. It's hard to believe 89. 89 it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it happens a lot. But 89 is a very special number to any Batman fan, especially Bat- fans of the cinematic universe of Batman. As, as we all know, that was when the Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson 89 Batman, which like started this whole just explosion of comic book uh fandom and movies which has not subsided yet it just grows and grows and grows so rob though you have some special news out about 89 and something that's near and dear to your heart toys right oh my gosh yeah uh the the bane of my existence and i i love it every every single minute of like we've had that discussion i think recently in the last episode of okay I, i even went as far as to sold some star wars stuff that i haven't had that i've had in totes for years and stuff like that that i got to a point i'm like I could not tell you what's in these totes. How much does it really mean to me if I can't re- like if it's not on display in throughout the room? I must not like it as much. But of course, all of my Batman stuff still is. So I've been collecting a lot of the uh, long story short, a lot of the Mattel multiverse figures, and they've kind of had their ups and downs. Like some years are really great, some years are poor QC, or uh, Mattel is unfortunately known for not getting the scale of figures right like they may make a really big tall tim drake and a really short batman or you know just some weird things every now and then but this last year of 2019 is mattel's final year to make 
toys uh, with the DC banner. They call them boys toys or the, or the boy toys license. And if you've been reading online, that's going to go to Spin Masters and McFarland Toys is going to get a chance to do some toys. So in this last year, with it being 2019, it's Batman's you know 80th birthday. And on this show, we've been saying it's Tim Drake's birthday. And I'm like, oh, maybe they'll come out with a, a Tim Drake figure. And there was one previewed last year from Rebirth. And it was just in prototype form. And prototype doesn't mean all the time, like, yeah, he's going to get a figure. It means, like, we're thinking about it. But hearing that they were losing the license, I quickly thought, yeah, we're probably not going to see that figure. Well, guess what happened on Saturday? Mattel dropped their line of figures, at least their first batch. There's a lot more figures that we could get into, and I won't do that on this show. But the... Four figures that they have announced. I'm trying to pull up my phone here, make sure I have them all correct. I'll start from the least exciting and work my way up to the most exciting. And even the least exciting is still pretty good. Uh, Mattel is going to do a Batman the Animated Series Poison Ivy figure, which seems kind of weird that their first animated series figure is going to be Poison Ivy. But I get it. Rather than have you know five Batmans in the line, it's nice to have some diversity. I'm not sure what the next figure is. It's a Riddler in the classic, like, Frank Gorshin, you know, early 70s, 80s bodysuit Riddler with all the question marks all over it. Some people think it's the superpowers era. It's a nod to that, and that kind of goes into the next two figures. Actually, I'll say the next two. Tim Drake is getting made as Red Robin in a figure from the Rebirth line. Now, he's supposed to be attached to a bigger multiverse line of figures that's supposed to have Red Hood, Katana, Alfred, Dick Grayson, Batman. And those figures were not shown at the show. So I don't know if like this is the first batch that's ready. So for me, getting a Tim Drake, another Tim Drake Robin figure, that's really exciting. And then if that wasn't enough, Mattel is doing their homage, if you will, to the 1989 Toy Biz Batman 89 movie figures. So they're doing a Michael Keaton and a Jack Nicholson Joker. Not only are they doing that, but they're giving all of the classic accessories that came with those figures, the squirting flower from the Joker, the Batarang, and the grapple gun. That just kind of sent everybody. Those were two, actually, other than Red Robin, the other four figures were not mentioned at all previously up until this point. All the figures that I rattled off being Red Hood were ones that people thought, oh, wow, that's what Mattel is going to show. So of all of those figures that we kind of previously knew about, they pulled Tim Drake, which I have to believe Mattel probably is smart enough to know this is Tim Drake's anniversary as well. He is also 30 years old as the 89 figures are. So the 89 figures just kind of blew everybody away. So I know you don't collect a lot of action figures, Terrence, but uh, how cool is it that, you know, Batman 89 is celebrating 30 years and to kind of commemorate it's 89's 30th anniversary. It's Batman's 80th anniversary. We got a little Tim Drake rolled into there. So, 89, like you said, is a very, very special year. And to top it off, it's Batman's 80th. So uh, do you have any thoughts about any of that? Or are you going, Rob's going to have to set up a Patreon account just for all the action figures. Sorry, uh, I wasn't listening. Could you repeat 
what you just said? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, this is where yeah. <laughs> if Terrence was in the room, I might have actually slapped him for the first time. <laughs> this is where the action figures come in handy when you throw them at me, right? Yeah. Uh, so the, I love, love, love the look. And I mentioned this to you before the podcast off air. I love the look of the Batman 89 toys. The, the I guess they're the called cards, I guess yeah. is what they are. Yeah. With that, the gold and the look. And if my favorite thing about them is Bob the Goon. If, if you look on the back of it, it has Bob's last name, which I forget what it was, but it has like his yeah. full name. I think it's a Robert, some whatever or something, yeah. you know. And um, I was like, that's a good trivia question. But I want to know who decided which Red Robin costume would be made a figure. I wonder how they decide that. Because I feel like... And this could be my own personal bias, but I feel like Tim Drake fans, if you had to say which is the best Red Robin costume, mm-hmm. they would pick the the uh, Batman Reborn, like right the series right before the New Fifty Two. I think it lasted about twenty issues or so. Yeah, like exactly. that costume. The Kingdom I've, Come. Yeah. yeah, the Kingdom Come. That one I feel like is the best Red Robin costume, and I feel like the New Fifty Two one was kind of. Not liked by most fans. So Myers, <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you prefer the new Fifty Two over well, the? I only say that because to answer your question, Mattel has made a pre New Fifty Two uh, Red Robin with the cowl. I'll I'll put it up on the the Instagram account and I'll throw it up on Twitter. So they have already made one. Okay. They got they got the body size wrong, but I think. Well, actually, no, I think I know the reason that they're doing this version is that they have they have started doing all of the rebirth characters. Gotcha. So there's a Clayface Connect and Connect wave, and currently right now there is I'm looking at it on my wall. There is Batwoman, Batwing, Clayface, Spoiler. So Red Robin and Katana are the only two figures, or excuse me, Red Robin and um, Orphan are the only two figures that haven't been made in their rebirth costumes by Mattel for the James Tiny and run. So this is actually helping complete that team of figures. So if you want to have, you know, James Tiny's comic book behind all of these figures, which I know a nerd that does, <laughs> this is why they made this uh, Tim Drake figure uh, in particular, just because they've already done, uh, Mattel has gone deep with all their figures. Okay. We've, got, we've already gotten the classic pixie boots. We've got a Dick Grayson and a Jason Todd. We've had the Grant Morrison pillhead, Red Hood. Tim Drake has be- had all three of his figures in the classic 90s, the red and black, and then the Red Robin costume, and now this one as well. You but, know what's uh, funny is uh, I never I, I never think of the James Tinian run as Red Robin. I always think of that yeah. as just Robin. Just, oh yeah, I had yeah. A, a, a double R. It was just like a silhouette or something, you know, yeah. And I partly think that was due to them wanting to have a Robin on the team and they didn't want it to be Damien because Damien yeah, was doing was Super Sons. Yeah, and, Super yeah. Sons and Teen Titans. Yeah. And Teen Titans. So to be like, I want to have a Robin and I want him to look like a Robin, but he's still technically Red Robin, which I think is why that's gone into Young Justice where Bendis is just like, let's just call him Robin. We'll yeah. have two Robins like we have two Flashes and we had two Batmans for a time. So I'm fine with that. So that I think that was the reason for the Tim Drake figure. It kind of concerns me that I'm hoping we're going to see the rest of all of those figures. You know, 
Alfred was also supposed to be made in that way. Even uh, there was supposed to be a Killer Croc and a KG Beast was supposed to be in there as a nice big full wave. So I don't know if this is Mattel going, all right, these are our last five figures, and then we're done for 2019. Or are they going to continue to do stuff throughout the year? And this is just the first Toy Fair reveal. We haven't gone to you know San Diego Comic Con. We haven't seen New York Comic Con reveals yet. So I imagine there's probably going to be stuff. And if you were Mattel and this is your last year. And Batman's a big seller. I think you would probably just throw everything you can at it, you know, money-wise that you have available to spend. But getting the 89 figures, I think, is a a really cool thing if you really love the 89 film. And I don't know how many Bat fans don't (laughs) love the, the 89 movie. Since this is our 89th episode, just real briefly before we get into the body of the show, uh, what are some of your like favorite favorite moments from the 89 film? Uh, so I have a list of my top favorite moments here from 89. So I have when Mr. Freeze freezes the city, but then has the that, cure for Alfred. That, that's I had a good one. when Batman picks up that machine gun and kills all those people to save Superman's mother. I have when <laughs> Catwoman eats the bird when riddler created that like mind control device and takes over gotham city i don't know how that's not number one i know and and then number one would be i don't know i'm trying to think of something from a different movie and i blank but yeah anyway i'm just here again rob slap number two (laughs) i pick up a heavy action figure to throw at me (laughs) yeah i don't know you know what's funny is as much as i love the movie uh, to me what i remember most is the experience yeah like waiting for it the build-up for it i remember and i've said this on a other episodes so i won't belabor it but like i remember coming home from school and my mom had taped good morning america on the old vcr vhs because they had the very first like teaser you know i didn't even know what a trailer was or teaser or anything like that and it was the scene where batman crashes through the window at the museum and Mm -hmm. then like stares at the joker and then shoots his uh I don't even know what that is, that uh, like a grappling zip gun wire, zip grappling wire. gun thing to get out of there, which I always was like, why doesn't he beat up the Joker? Why is he, like, leaving? Like, why is he running away? But it, it still was, like, awesome to see, like, just like, well, oh, my, I watched that again and again and again and again. And then, you know, going to see it on opening day I, and um, seeing it a couple times and getting it on VHS. It was one of the very first movies that I ever actually owned mm-hmm. the legitimate, like, real movie. Yeah. And uh, movies used to be priced really, really expensive to be sold to, like, video stores. And that was the first one that, maybe the second, I think E.T. might have been the first one yeah, I think or right. so that was really marketed at a price point for people to buy. And I think it was, like, $25. And I got it on sale for... Um, like 1999 but my parents bought it i think around like thanksgivingish time as a christmas present for me so i had to wait till christmas to like get it and open it up and watch it and man i watched the heck out of that thing so um it's it's that's that's more what i remember is all the stuff around it and of course i mean it was just a fabulous movie it was just fantastic i loved it yeah, I think my memory's just about the same as all of the hype build up around it. Like, all of a sudden, I mean, it sounds cliche. We've probably said it a million times on this show, and Kevin Smith has probably said it a billion times, but the bat signal was everywhere. Like, you couldn't pick up just the normal paper and not see an ad for it or somebody writing an article about it. And I or wearing like, a t-shirt or getting it carved in their head. People were getting it as their yeah. haircut. Remember that? Shaved yeah. the bat signal in their head. That was like really popular. Yeah. I, people in school that had 
I never thought they had any idea who the Batman character was, or like we've said before, the year before they thought it was dumb and stupid. We would get thrown in our locker, and that next summer, going back to school, it was like, oh my gosh, did you see Batman? And I'm like, do you remember our conversation a year ago when I was wearing this very same shirt? But all of a sudden, we got like street cred built up, like we were into Batman before Batman became cool. So I, the I think my memories are the same as yours. It's just the hype. Yeah, the movie was great, but I just couldn't believe that we were getting a Batman like this. And I don't know if I said on this show before, but the old movie theater that we used to have in town, it was a really poor design. It, it, it looked cool, but it was like 10 feet off the ground. Um, they had these columns of stairs that went up. There was like three sets of stairs to get up to the top of the theater. My mom used to complain about it all the time. She's like, I'm going to the movies, not trying to climb a mountain. Like <laughs> it was like a chore for some people back before the days of, you know, needing ramps for the elderly or the disabled. Like there was no wheelchair access for this, you know, movie theater, which, which is probably why I got torn down. But I just remember going up the steps for Batman 89 and thinking like this was the longest set of steps. Like I could not race to the top, but once you got to the top of the steps, right before you got in, they had this giant cardboard bat signal out there with, you know, it says, you know, uh, Nicholson, Keaton, uh, Batman, had, you know, Tim Burton's name down at the bottom of it, but the bat signal was huge. Like I couldn't stretch my arms wide enough. And I asked my mom, like, I'm going to ask him if we can have this. And my mom was like, no, we do not need a five foot bat signal. Like, where are you going to put it? <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that just that experience. And it was almost like, oh, you know, hearing like the church choir in the background or something like that and walking in the theater. And I just remember. You know, I think they played like two trailers before the movie. And I'm thinking these trailers are so long. Nowadays, you get like an hour's worth of trailers before the movie and you sit there long enough to go, what movie are we seeing again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they actually show like commercials and stuff. Back then, we just stared at it at a blank screen, screen. for tw 20 minutes. And you know what I remember, too, is like at 89 was the, the peak of MTV. And mm -hmm. kids our age, high schoolers, middle schoolers, we'd watch hours and hours and hours of MTV every day. And MTV was running a contest to win the Batmobile, if you remember that. I think oh, we talked about right. that, like steal the Batmobile. And yeah. they would show that commercial, like every commercial break, like that, you win the Batmobile. And then the Prince Bat Dance video was shown like every two or three hours that would come on. So, yeah, it was just like everywhere of this hype of like the movie's coming, the movie's coming. And you didn't have YouTube where you could go and watch um, <laughs> the trailer over and over again. And you didn't have like all these spoilers and stuff. So we really kind of had a notion of what was in the movie but we didn't know what was in the movie nowadays you can like find out everything about the movie <laughs> right. before it happened or someone speculating what's going to happen and all these things like oh you know what and let me lead into this how many times can like the nerd community that i am a proud member of just like fall for the whole like oh my god it's in a commercial it's in a trailer this this means something like Rogue One, that whole trailer, like, none of that was in the movie. You know, <laughs> Avengers Infinity War, like, a lot of that stuff wasn't in the movie. I think there's, like, scenes of, like, the Hulk running right. into battle, right? They're not in the movie. Like, um, 
Batman v Superman, Justice League, like not in the movie. So can we just calm down about the fact that Harley Quinn has got a dog tag that says Bruce on it? Like, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything right now. I mean, you, you know, Aquaman was on a poster that said Unite the Seven, and we have no idea what that even means or right. anything. Or people are like now, like, oh, it meant the Seven Seas. I know. I, I, I think it meant the seven members of the Justice League for the three movies that they were going to make, and only. <laughs> I only only did so, one and a half. <laughs> yeah, somehow made one and a half and mixed it into one or what? I don't know, but uh, you know, number seven was Green Lantern, not the Mediterranean Sea people. So right. everybody, just calm down till the movie comes out. But I guess I guess it's just part of the fun. But man, yeah. people just lose their mind over that. You you even posted something of like, calm down, people. It's just a, it's just a image. Yeah, yeah. It's even like me getting all excited like when, when are we gonna get this tim drake figure like it'll it'll happen it'll calm down the people instantly after wanting something they want to start ripping it apart and i'm like now wait a minute just two months ago you were jumping up and down can't wait for this thing and now it, i think sometimes the hype gets it puts you so far out of perspective of what the thing is rather than go oh cool here's this thing i want to enjoy now let's just check my excitement at the door and not overhype myself because usually when you do that you're bound to let yourself down rather than i don't know if it was the actual and sometimes it is the actual product where you're like man this is a piece of garbage yeah but but sometimes it can with perspective you can go back and watch something that you absolutely hated and go ah it's it's not so bad but it it still could be but this i I was glad was not the case with batman 89 and and that we're here one final thing before we go on. Scene. Oh, I've got something else too. I'm oh, gonna, I'm, well, then, I'm gonna I'm gonna get all Hugo Strange psychologist on you, but go ahead with yours. Oh, yeah. awesome. Well, I want to put this out there before I forget. This is our 89th episode, which means we have 10 more before 100 episodes. Which I, it still boggles my mind that we've almost done a hundred of these things. So. I'm throwing this out there for listeners of what is something I'm taking a little page from Andy D. Genova's when he hit a hundred, he recently hit 200 is what is something that you guys would like us to talk about or do? Is there something we haven't done on the show? Is there a Tim Drake or Batman comic that you're like, wow, I'd really like you guys to cover this. I don't know if you're going to do that. So we're kind of, I'm going to open the doors up to the listeners of just ideas. I've got some in the back of my mind, and I'm sure Terrence and Ryan do. I'm trying to get a couple of interviews. It would be cool if those come through. One is a definite. The second one, I don't want to say, again, like hype. It's like a trailer. Like, Rob said you were going to interview Dan DiDio. No, I'm not saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Although part of me would want to. Like, Dan, sit down. i got a lot of stuff I want to say. (laughs) Topic number one, Walmart. What the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I just want to throw that out there. Be kind of thinking about it. Send us an email. Hit us up on Twitter at ELTD podcast of of an idea for our uh, 100th episode. So what do you got, Terrence? So a little Hugo Strange. Hop on the couch here. And I'm going to crack into the mind of Rob Myers about the (laughs) toys. You know, my biggest problem with the toys and collecting the toys is that 
I, I, you, you'll show me one of those like Tim Drake things, and then I want it, and then I go hunt for it, and I want you go here this store. Then I finally get it. It's so exciting to hunt, and then a month later I'm like, yeah, why do I have that? It's like it's all about the hunt and finding it, yeah. and then the letdown of like when you actually have it. Do you experience that as as well, or do you do you find anything with that, or is that just my problem? <laughs> Sometimes, but more times than not, I have. Well, now I've got Tim Drake. Oh, and now there's Connor Kent Superboy. Oh, and then they're going to do an impulse figure. I could have Young Justice. Well, if I've got those three, then they're going to make the Ray. I probably ought to get the Ray for Young Justice. Oh, I can put those three and make a Teen Titans team. But if I've got Teen Titans, then I probably need Dick Gray. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it, it's just the problem keeps going and going and going. And then I sit back and go, I'm really a Batman and Tim Drake fan. Why do I have five Green Lanterns? Yeah. You know? Which, you know, I've, I've kind of pulled myself back out of that. Uh, there have been very few times where I'm trying not to be a regret buyer because then that just depresses me. If, like, if I'm willing to spend the money, I want to be able to look at this thing on my wall or my shelf and go, I am glad I spent the money that I did and not go, oh, great, I could have spent it on something else. Because if all I really wanted that I can just go online and right-click and save all these pictures, and then I've collected them all, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then stuck them to a wall. So I really try and tell myself if I'm willing to spend that much money on something, even if it's five bucks, I and I'll sit there with it and go, do I really need this? Am I going to regret this purchase later? Or what my wife doesn't like to get into the head of Rob Myers is – when it's like, oh, I'm going to leave this in a box. She's like, you're not going to take it out? It's like, well, you know, it could be a collector's thing. I've always been, a toy needs to be loved. It needs to be out of its box, and I'm, I'm going to put it in a, not to throw shade towards you, but some of the people that are buying the Funko Pops, and then they're putting the Funko Pops in a pop case, and I'm like, take it out. Let it breathe, you know, with having a million of them or I've got a, a decent handful of pops and I'd like to get them out of the box and kind of set them up and display them somehow. There's a few that I have, but to me, a toy is always a, is a sad thing when I see it in a box. I'm like, release it, release the Kraken. So that's, that's always kind of my thing of, if I have to be okay with spending the money and not regret it afterwards. And then once I've got it, I'm like, that sucker's coming out of the package. It, it needs to be displayed, even if it's in a vanilla pose. But usually I want to kind of pair them with different groups and make little different teams and stuff. So that's the inside of Rob Myers. <laughs> yeah, one of the nice things about the pops that I liked when I started collecting them was the fact that you can actually take them out of the package and then put them back in the package without yeah. destroying the package. It's not like a card where you once it's out, it. it's done forever. I have actually kind of stopped buying the pops and I've actually been trying to pare down my collection and, and sell some on eBay just for the simple fact that I'm like you, I'm a completist. Like if it's got Batman mm-hmm. on the front and then on the back, it says collect these seven others or collect them all kids. Then I'm like, I've got to find all these sevens. But the problem is Funko has got so many exclusives and so many chases and so many different variants that it's so hard to complete them. And I get this thing of like, well, if I can't have them all, then why do I even want any of them? And Mm -hmm. what's really frustrating is they have a lot of um, Hot Topic exclusives, Target exclusive, Walmart exclusive, and you can't find them. Like I've said, it's all about the hunt, but then you can't find them. And then you go on 
I used to go on eBay, but now if you go on like Facebook Marketplace and some of these other marketplaces, you can actually see more of who's selling them. Like you can click on their Facebook profile and, mm-hmm. and see who's selling them. And I can't tell you how many times you see like, oh, Target exclusive. Somebody's selling it. I click on their profile. Guess where it says they work? They work at Target. Target. You know, yeah. they work at, and it's like, uh, are they just producing these exclusives so employees can supplement their, you know, low <laughs> wages? Like, so it just, it kind of takes a lot of the fun out of it. So I've been, paring down and and cutting back and on those and it's it's i don't know it's like it's a weird thing where it's like it's really hard to sell it's like you got all this emotional attachment and all this Mm -hmm. stuff it's really hard to sell but then once you sell a couple then you start getting like addicted to selling like maybe i could sell this one maybe i can get that one maybe Mm -hmm. you know like so maybe i'll buy another one just to sell it maybe now i'm a flipper like it just like (laughs) it goes a little crazy but it was funny i was watching this youtuber who i like I, i forgot his name i wish i I'll tell you in some other episode because I'd like to give credit for it. But they were talking about Saturday morning cartoons. It's a toy. It's a guy on YouTube on toy. I'll look it up and and I'll see if I can find it. You've probably watched him because he's a he 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 does these like history of toys and okay. they're so good. Like he he does a whole thing on He Man and I mean it's just really good. And uh, he was talking about how like the Saturday morning cartoons came out and uh, in the seventies and like psychiatrists and psychologists and everything were all worried about like what effect would all this programming have on kids and what would what would that lead to and it's like we were those kids and now we've grown up and like all that <laughs> advertising and program has us spending like hundreds or thousands of dollars a year <laughs> still on these toys even though we're in our like middle ages here so I was kind of wonder like hmm I wonder maybe somebody had a point like maybe I would have got a phd and you know like done something with my life but uh instead i've got lots of plastic representations of characters i love Woo-hoo! You know? yeah so, yeah uh, but uh anyway i'm taking this to a weird place i think people just have a natural desire to collect like this yeah. is just what our generation does before us people collected salt shakers and plates and spoons, teaspoons and yeah. all kinds of stuff or matchbooks I, I remember as a kid a lot of adults would collect matchbooks every restaurant or place would have matches for free that you could collect and yeah you know they they don't do that anymore so i think it's just a natural thing and this is just our generation but it's kind of interesting the psychology behind collecting and how each person kind of collects for a different reason but yet we're all collecting for like the same reason as well so it's kind of yeah kind of interesting well, yeah my wife's other word for it is hoarders and i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> it's just that that need for wanting something like reclaiming part of your childhood or this is sometimes just simple as i just need that not that i need this you tell yourself you need it but i just want it for the simple reason is i have money and i want it (laughs) but it's weird too like with comic books I enjoy reading the comic books, but I enjoy bagging and boarding the comic books. I enjoy putting them in the mm-hmm. long box in alphabetical order and numeric order. I love pulling out books and seeing like years worth of covers and runs and remembering like, oh yeah, I remember when I bought this one. I remember that one. Or I don't remember this one at all. Let me take a look at this one. You know, it's, it's, it, it same thing with like collecting toys and stuff. Like there's a, it's kind of fun to like see the runs together, see the figures together, see them how they are, see the artwork and the the time and the skill and the craft that went into them. So it's 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 multi layered, yeah. Yeah, and I find bagging and boarding very therapeutic. I'll just sit and watch TV and just bag and board. You know, peel back the resealable bag or get out the scotch tape. And in doing this show, and this is a really great segue. I'm glad you teed that up for me. Is while we were, I started 
for Terrence and Ryan and myself to kind of keep a saying of like, okay, well, what's the next issue? I started going through and like, all right, here's all the Robin issues in order and here's the crossovers and here's all this stuff. One book that we missed that I don't know if it was something I thought we'd come back around to later, but we skipped over Robin Annual number two, Bloodlines, Earth Plague. Dun, dun, dun. I have to find some some sinister, yeah. <laughs> some sinister music here. Because Terrence had pointed out that the next chronologically issued Tim Drake story that we're going to cover, it's like, oh, he hops over to the Catwoman book. And then I see Razor Sharp in there, and you had said, hey, we should probably do that uh, Robin 2 annuals, kind of tie the two together. And I was like, oh, I'm sure we did that. Sure enough, I scrolled back through the podcast, and I had skipped it. So we're going to jump back to 1993, and at a time where Nightfall is a thing, uh, Robin is out of the Batcave. There is no Robin ongoing series yet. We're like right in between Robin 2 and Robin 3, Cry of the Huntress era, along with the whole Nightfall thing. And we're going to look at this Chuck Dixon, of course, and... Uh, I don't know, Dreyer, I think is his name, and uh, Garcia Lopez, front cover here of Robin Annual 2, Bloodlines, Earth Plague, Razor Sharp cut, it cuts in. So I didn't have a whole lot of history with Bloodlines. I think the only other Bloodlines issue that I have, I believe, is Batman, if I remember correctly. So I'm going to look here real quick while I kick the mic over to you. So what... What connection do you have with Bloodlines? I do have a little synopsis, unless you've got one that you've kind of have known just from reading more than what I have in it. Well, I can just kind of spitball a little bit here and with a little help from Wikipedia about what was going on. So 93, for those of you who are not around or not a part of it, or those of you who were and want to go down memory lane, this is when Image Comics was starting and was just huge. Like Image just blew everything out of the water. And DC was really hurting. Like DC was thought of as kind of like a dinosaur, the old man in the room, not not very fresh, not you know, very stale, which I guess is not very fresh. Uh, and, you know, and and a lot of that was warranted. As much as I love DC and was a DC guy and always read DC, a lot of that was kind of kind of true. And when Image Comics took off, they just went through the market. Valent Comics came out soon. Like, DC was, like, sometime, some months they were the third leading publisher, sometimes the fourth mm. or fifth. You know, like, it was it was bad times for DC. Right. And really, the only traction DC really got was killing Superman and breaking Batman's back. And then making – and then it became, like, a, a cliche. Oh, let's make Green Lantern go crazy. Let's and kill <laughs> yeah. everybody. Let's, let's kill Green Arrow. Let's kill this guy. And it was kind of like, you know, people were like, all right, that was good for DC, but really that's all you could do is just kill a character, like, come up with something new. And also at this time, there was a lot of money being thrown into comic books from people who knew nothing about comics, but just knew they were making money and you could probably get a TV series or a movie that could make a lot of money. So you had a lot of startup capital creating comic books like Malibu Comic but you know, oh, wow. Before this, you know, if you started a new comic book company, it was usually one guy or a, one writer and artist team, and they were starting with one book, and they were starting small and like kind of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or mm-hmm. Cerebus, the the Aardvark guy, and and it would grow and grow and grow, and maybe it might become something. Now all of a sudden, you had million millions of dollars being thrown into a, a company, saying, "Yeah, let's start up a company, let's throw out some books, let's hire people. Hey, let's get the best, so let's pay them more." So. 
So DC was losing a lot of its talent. I mean, this is where Noam Brayfogle went over and started Prime and mm, and yeah. stuff. So there was not a lot of talent around to um, actually uh, pick up the baton, if you will, and <laughs> and run with it. You know, a lot of a lot of guys were being hired who just had no experience, weren't that good. You, you know, but they needed somebody. And actually, another YouTuber who I like, uh, his name's Comic Tropes, did a whole thing on the bloodlines and and this era that was really good. So. Basically, DC is trying at, at this point to just kind of throw everything up against the wall and see what will stick. And so they had this idea with their annuals. Hey, let's create this alien that is like sucking people's spinal fluid, but not all the people die from it. Some of them get powers and then we'll have all these new characters and maybe one of them or two of them can compete with Image and we might have something. And they really didn't. The vast majority of these characters were just forgettable. They, you know, you, like I said, they didn't have the top talent creating them. The only character from this line that had anything was in the Demon Annual. It introduced the character Hitman, and then Hitman had a Garth Innes run. I think it was a vertical Vertigo run that ran for about sixty or so issues. That was somewhat popular. That's it. All the rest were forgotten about. They had some other issues that like was started blood lines and ended lines. The the one I think the last issue called Bloodbath has uh long haired Superman and Asbats on the cover. So that's kinda <laughs> kinda fun. If you pull up Wikipedia right now, that's what shows up. Uh most of these characters get killed off here and there or they showed up in the uh Blackest Night as a dead character. In fact, the one was it Razor Sharp? Is that her? Yeah. She yep. she showed up in, in Blackest Night as already being dead, and that kind of is it. A, a, a interesting side note: I heard Rob Leinfeld say that he felt like DC was trying to copy Young Blood, and that's why it was Bloodlines. And I I think that was Rob just imagining a bit because Probably. I unless I heard somebody from DC actually say, yeah, we were that's why we did that, like. The blood has been around for a while. It's been used for a while. Like Rob Leinfeld didn't yeah. invent blood, although he probably thinks he did. Uh, but he, <laughs> you know, like it. it so blood—that's uh, a stretch. Although the image guys did the same thing. If you notice, the image guys, all of their books are very similar alphabetically to the books that they were leaving Marvel from. So yeah. that way, on the comic book shelves, it would be right there. So Spawn starts the same as Spider-Man and right. Young Blood starts with a Y right next to where the X books are for X Force and you know Wildcats Jim Lee W X Y Z like it's there there's a there's a correlation there yeah. so maybe that's what maybe because that's what he was doing that's what he was thinking when he saw blood but I I don't know maybe I who knows who knows what was going on at that time the Robin annual you could see Chuck Dixon was trying to create some characters that would fit with sort of Tim Drake teenage hero teenage group I actually thought I mean I can't even remember a lot of these but I actually thought that the Robin characters were probably the better characters out of some yeah. of these and then they may will make an appearance in Catwoman 25 again which is why we're doing the, these books together in this podcast and a side note my last side note here uh, or this is a side note to my side note um, 
some of these uh, heroes joined a group called the Blood Pack to try to like boost sales. I'm, I'm not sure what year that was. Oh, September 2011. That's what it was. In September 2011, the New 52 with the reboot continuity tried to bring back some of these characters. It was a six-issue six miniseries, and they changed it where they had a meteor crash to Earth, and that brought some of the powers. I mean, a lot of the people died, but some of them had powers. And I feel like that series kind of just kind of came and went and no one really cared. So I don't foresee a rebirth of bloodlines, but who knows? They may, they may show up in wonder comics or something like that. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought again, with only having two issues uh, from this, just in the Robin perspective of things, I think these characters don't feel at least in the two stories that we're reading, and more importantly in the Robin one, I don't feel like these are forced, like, oh, this is part of an event, other than the creature interacting with them. This, these just sound like a group of teens that Robin would have to track down or, or battle against or work with, and then they're one and dones. I don't, I don't feel as they were part, like, okay, this has to be something that ties in. I think Chuck does a very good way, whether he was like, all right, I got to do this annual and it's, you can go, well, it's not in a Robin series at all. So I think it, it probably lends itself more to a nice one and done story that if the long way I'm trying to say this is reading this, I didn't feel like I was missing anything. Like I have no idea what any of these characters are doing. I'm completely lost that I get a beginning and a middle of the end. And I didn't feel like I had to rush out to the store and go, well, wait, I only, I've got issue 19 out of 45. I'm completely lost. I read this back in 93 and enjoyed it. And getting ready for this podcast, I looked at it and went, I enjoyed it as much as I did in 93. And I didn't feel the need to go run down and check out the other uh, bloodline issues. And correct me if I'm wrong, didn't this annual come out before Robin issue number one of the regular series? Yes. I think so. Yep. It's Robin had two annuals out before the, a regular series. That's kind of unique. But yeah. you know what's cool, too? I, I, I don't know if you're done with the, the Bloodline stuff here, but I, if not, we can come back to it. But I'll segue into the cover. The cover for the annual is done by Jim Ballant, right? Yeah, Jim Ballant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of funny that then he's the artist on Robin uh, 25. Although this cover, I would say maybe PG rated because uh, maybe the monsters might scare young children. So we won't give yeah. it a G, but it's, it's definitely family friendly sort of, uh, Robin 25 looks like, it I'm sorry. Catwoman 25 looks like it belongs in like the high adult section part where, you know, you put the, the, the more the kids can't reach it and like the little kids get to it. It's a, it's a little different vibe on the co the covers we'll be looking at today. Yeah. Yeah. Some, uh, fellow podcasters that I listen to, uh, Michael Bailey and, uh, Shag Matthew, and uh, Andrew Leyland all refer to Jim Ballant as uh, this is drawn by I like big boobs Jim Ballant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, didn't he do? I, I heard somewhere that he did like soft core pornography comics after his run on DC Comics. So I, I don't know yeah. if that's true, but I, I have also heard uh, that as well. And I mean, I, I could understand why I guess. <laughs> Yeah, he just figured, ah, let's just you know, I'm halfway there. Let's just go go the full mile. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's get into uh, Bloodlines. Robin Annual number two from 1993. And this is a rather thick book. So what we normally typically do on the show, we go through almost page by page and kind of talk about things. We'll be here 
all day if we do that there i've got some notes that i've written down previously that we'll we'll go through and then just other parts of the story that maybe both of us are kind of going through so we might zip around the book a little bit the opening page of tim drake falling which we say a lot and i just heard uh, a little plug for another tvu show batgirl to oracle stella just interviewed chuck dixon on uh, her show I'm going to forget the issue number here, but it was Birds of Prey, where it's where Dick and Barbara, um, while she's Oracle, are on the trapeze on the very front cover. It's that that issue. And he talks about he always likes to start his stories with an action beat. And I love the opening, like, inner monologue of, of Tim, where he says, How am I doing so far? Well, I just got thrown off a 13th floor of the Kaiser building, and I'm just heading uh, past the 12th floor. So I'd have to say off to a, so far, so good. And then it goes into like explaining as he's falling and then does the whole, well, let me tell you how I got here. So I really like this opening uh, sequence. So what'd you think about just Tim's dialogue? And just, I love the art and the perspective of the splash page of Tim falling. You see the look on his face of like, oh, holy crap. I think I'm probably going to die right here. So uh, what'd you think of this just two single pages before we move farther in the book. Yeah, and like you said, I, I have the digital copy. I have the print copy somewhere, but I couldn't find it. So I bought it <laughs> digitally this morning. And it's 65 pages long digitally. So yeah, we can't, we can't go into every single page. But we're going to anyway. No. <laughs> but um, this reminded me a little bit of Watchmen in the beginning with... Um, what's his face? I blanked on him. The comedian. That's, that's who it is. Yeah. I, I was going to say Smiley Face Man. <laughs> I couldn't think of his name. <laughs> the guy's got the button to, being thrown out the window. But this is almost... Just, this might be sacrilege, but it's almost better because it's a full page. Like it's a full splash page, just as far as artwork-wise better. Yeah. Because in uh, Watchmen, you never get that full splash page. It's all these little small panels of it. So it's it's such a great way to start the issue because you know Tim Drake is not going to die in the first page of Robin Annual 2, right? but it does pique your interest of well, how did he get here? Why is he in this predicament? How is what what events led here? So it does draw you in. It does make you want to read the story, and it does make you think. All right, how's he going to get out of this? Because you know he's going to survive, but it does have that. Okay, what's what's the plan here? So I thought this was great, and in fact, the art is uh, Kieran Dwyer. Is that who it is? And I've yeah. I can't remember exactly what else I've seen him do, but I always remember liking his art and thinking his art was really good and really solid. And it always surprises me when there's really good art in an annual because sometimes I feel like these annuals are sometimes throwaways or rush jobs or, or things like that. I like on the second page how Robin throws the grappling hook and he hits this like gargoyle kind of like thing. It's not really a gargoyle, but it's just like, like a, a, protrusion a ledge. Yeah. yeah. And it breaks and it falls and it keeps falling. Like I, I love that. Like in S- Superman uh, returns when like he tries to grab the wing of the plane and it, the, the wing breaks. Like I like mm-hmm. stuff like that where there's a little more to it than just up oh, easy peasy for the hero. And then um, we go into the, the title page, which I felt a little bit like, did they go and get Mr. Freeze to write some of this? Because the, mm. the title's called Looking Sharp. I could just hear the Mr. Freeze like, Looking Sharp. And then uh, on the on the cover, and I, Chuck Dixon does not put the stuff on the cover. The cover editor will put it, but it's like Razor Sharp cuts in. Like, Razor Sharp cuts in. Ah, ah, ah. I need to see you. Yeah, it's just uh, the bad puns are, are, are bad. Yeah. 
Uh, really quick, I looked up uh, Kevin Dwyer. Uh, some stuff that he's done is Captain America, X-Force, has done some Batman run, Lobo, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Lobo, uh, that's where I know him yeah. from. Yeah, that's where it is. Yeah, yeah. And the the next couple page, he does a great job making Gotham City look like a seedy, rat-infested, just nasty place to be. It's, I mean, there's a syringe bottles <laughs> lit cigarettes a, it looks like a dead rat you know yeah yeah the beer that's on tap i don't know if you saw this is king kirby king kirby beer which mm-hmm. uh, i thought that was kind of cool but yeah yeah uh, no i i feel like this uh, lady that's walking here in the green cloak that's uh she's going down crime alley uh specifically to lure people which i wanted to ask you about this creature again this is probably the only spot in bloodlines that's the same creature but it's on front with the you know blood oozing out of its mouth is this is the creature in the bloodline stories that is going around giving is activating the metagene in potentially some of these people and it's also uh, the thing that the police is going through, it's draining their spinal fluid. They've got a couple holes in the back of their neck. I, am I correct in saying that, that this creature is also killing and causing the metagene to be activated in people? Yeah, and I could be wrong. If memory serves me right, the creature is there to just to drink our spinal fluid. Or sp- okay. But in some people, because of... Now, Marvel's Mutant, so DC's version, where they call it the metagene, metagene, because some people have a metagene when the alien does this extraction of the spinal fluid, it causes people's metagenes to activate, and they don't die, and they actually get powers, but each person gets a different power. So this creature, I think now about it, the same the way I thought about it back then, Sigourney Weaver and her lawyers and uh-huh. <laughs> uh, who, who was the guy who made uh, Alien or whoever that was need to sue DC because this is if this is is it called a xenomorph in Aliens is that what they call yeah. it yeah yeah this is just a, a knockoff of a xenomorph in like every way shape and form basically the, yeah the name of this and I'm probably gonna say it Venvi V E N E V Venvi uh, was one of many alien parasites that came to Earth during the events of bloodlines to feed on human spinal fluid. So that's just a quick read-up on this that I got from uh, DCFandom.com uh, or the DC Wikia page. The gender is female, eyes white, hair none, skin color yeah. green, you know. So that's the... Other than this, it's the only appearance of this creature that we're going to see. Well, I guess there is one more appearance in a, in a warehouse in a little bit. So it's it's a little plot device in the whole overarching bloodline story, but Dixon, I think, plays it pretty well of going, all right, so I'm going to tie this annual into it, but I'm going to tell a story of what happens to these individuals, and I'm going to give the metagene power to uh, two of them, so we can go on from there. Can I mention that on the next shot of Robin, I really, really enjoy this artwork, and I know a lot of times artists get like the oohs and the ahs when it's this big splash page and it's a battle and there's 17 heroes all fighting 15 villains and there's this giant monster, but this art is really, really good if you have time to just kind of look at it. There's a panel of Gotham City, and the buildings are just layered like one on top of the other on top of the other, and there's like a water tower in shadow in the in the front, and it just gives this really great feel of the city. Then there's another scene of like Robin 
in the background and there's like patio furniture in the foreground and it just really like makes you feel like you're sitting on the patio watching Robin and then there's another thing of Robin like looking kind of uh, at himself and in the background there's just like books and a vase and a clock and like there's just a lot of detail where it would have been easy to just leave that blank or do just something real quick and then there's this whole shot with like the glove and the mirror and Robin looking and so uh, it's just I just really like that artwork. It's it's realistic enough that it doesn't feel ridiculous, but yet it's still got an element of, you know, comic book and it's not like photorealism Alex Ross style, you know. So I I don't know if 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 you feel the same way, but I just I really enjoy that artwork. I love the artwork, especially in this page where he's in and I had forgotten or maybe they just didn't chuck it and do it enough early on in the series that uh, he was in his dad's penthouse which is not that far from wayne manor or not from wayne manor excuse me like wayne tower and uh you know uh, some of the other wayne buildings that he could be right there in the city since he has been kicked out of the bat cave but i really dug this scene where he's just standing in the costume and doing the whole like you're talking to me you know little bit but uh, the art is just nice and clean and i i really dig this stuff yeah it's cool to see some great action shots and uh, as you continue to flip the page where he's going to go out on patrol or he's flipping out the window off the fire escape and swinging out those are great but just the shots of him in the apartment and even just the perspective of him when he's in the apartment he's wish these pages were numbered uh but when he's pointing and you get the shot from outside of the patio and you see the patio furniture and the you know the umbrella stand is all like this purple hue even that detail is really pretty good and you get this nice little shot of tim so i i dig that that stuff as well i'm a sucker for the action beats but it's just nice to see the hero standing there every once in a while and the art to be just as consistent as and good as the action shots are yeah and then in the action shots like you said flipping out of the room and a fire escape it really gives you a sense of height like you really feel like gotham city's really got these tall buildings and they're on top of it so it kind of just adds to it when we meet this uh team what is the team called again i forget what do the, they call themselves the, the cybers the cyber, cyber rats rats yeah yeah the cyber rats and it's funny because this is 93 so this is like the early days of <laughs> the internet becoming coming into our homes where yeah i know it'd been around forever with arpanet and all that but actually like coming into the public consciousness and people yeah. actually using AOL to dial up, you know, the internet and stuff. So it's funny to see like these terms that get added to things and you know how people kind of get get it kind of wrong about how the internet works in the early days. It's it's really fun. Yeah. And and seeing like how that that was just the lingo of like oh i'm going to use the word cyber and hacking and you know mm-hmm. it makes it sound like this is it's it's really easy to do or you got to be super smart and all that stuff and the terms that you look at it now and go that's ah, not exactly what we would say but in the early days where it, this was such a new thing and I, I don't think by this point i was even really online i don't think i got online until like 97 98 somewhere around there yeah might maybe a little earlier than that because i think i remember seeing reading some of uh bill jet ramey's batman and robin stuff and probably more batman forever so may- maybe 94 that every once in a while i'd be able to go to like the library i thought that was so cool and man this is so fast and <laughs> it wasn't fast yeah. at all yeah 
I like their van that has like a satellite dish on the roof. Like that's not suspicious at all. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, not at all. They are on. What are they on top of the Wayne? Uh, what is this? The Wayne uh, Tower? Is that right? No, Wayne Foundation Building. Okay, um, which. Like you like to point out, it's got that Anton first spire at the top of it and this dome setting where the cyber rats are up here working on. And all the rats' names are Channel, Hack Rat, Megabyte, Megabiter, which I think is kind of funny, and then uh, Razor Sharp. And it's all derivative of each of their uh, names. Uh, Ray is the girl with the, ends up getting the Razor Sharp uh, claws that cuts in. Yeah, that's uh, kind of of ironic. Yeah, just. Just a little. I just wanted to point out that we were talking about the cyber rats, but cyber is spelled P-S-Y-B-A because they're wearing backpacks that has the cyber rats and has a logo. So they had merch even back then. But uh, P-S-Y, like Cyforce, like brain power, was was a very popular thing back then, too. So it's kind of a play on cyber and psychological powers or something. But (laughs) I mean, they're... They make it obvious that they're up to no good. They've got a satellite dish on the roof of their van. They're wearing their own merch, and I mean, it's just kind of, kind of funny. Yeah. And they're all in their own onesies that are uh, yeah. purple, purple, blue, and black. And uh, although I gotta say, a channel here that is hooking into the uh, telephone, the uh, the oversized security camera with like a big cell phone. If you rewind the show back when Tim Drake is hacking a payphone with this huge device, and we were like, how is he going to fit that in his utility belt? Yeah. Hook it up to a payphone. At least the technology has gotten a little bit better. It's a little sm- <laughs> It's a little smaller. So we'll go through the section a little bit, a little quicker here. This is Robin on top of the building. He scales up the top of the building behind the cyber rats, goes to catch him, and then they all proceed to jump off. And Robin thinks, oh, no, they're going to commit suicide and grabs hold of Channel, I believe, here. And he finds out that they're parachuting off, that they're base jumping is what he originally assumes is happening. And he gets sprayed with mace and uh, they all get back in the van and race off. And this is where Tim does his detective work and finds out that they were hacking into the system. So that's a whole span of about four or five pages there. But I think Dixon does a really good job of getting nice little character moments. Again, it's 65 pages, so he's got the benefit of being able to give you a little bit more history, even if this was only going to be a one-shot as far as Dixon goes. You get that Ray, or Razor Sharp here, is going to be the leader of the group, and that they weren't just doing this for fun and kicks, that it is for somebody else that they were working for that is going to try and get information, and that person is the collector. So this goes through another little section here with the collector getting upset that they didn't do the job they were supposed to, and then Megabyte ends up getting killed in the gunfire. So what would you think about this series of sections? Yeah, it kind of ties back into what we were talking about earlier in the show with the collector and collecting, unless you cut all that out because it hurt your feelings, Rob. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, it does the job of moving the story along. There's nothing too great. It's kind of like when I'm watching The Flash on the CW and we're like 20 minutes in and he confronts the villain like, okay, Flash isn't going to catch him this time because we still got 40 minutes of the show left. So this is where the Flash gets beat and the villain runs away and then we figure something out, which will help flash catch them the next time um but i do like the little twist that they are working for someone and that it is the collector and it does you know kind of pique my interest of what's going on here and i do like um that robin is not 
perfect either. Like he's still learning, he's still making mistakes, and this was mm-hmm. kind of one that he probably wish he could have a do over with. So yeah, it's overall it's it's a great scene to serve the function of the overall story. And it's funny, as I flip the page here, and I know you're reading this digitally, and normally I don't pull out the ads as we're talking about it, uh, but the section right after this where they're running through the warehouse and the alien is going to go catch them. Sorry, I don't want to get sued either, but uh, (laughs) Sigourney Weaver is probably up for a fat paycheck here. But uh, it says, appearing in person, grand opening, Anaheim, California, Mile High Comics, store number two, appearing as Jim Shooter, founder of Deviant, and Rob Liefeld <laughs> yeah. from Extreme. So I thought that was funny. We were just talking about him. Yeah, Defiant Comics and then Image Comics for Mile High Comics store opening number two. So I thought that would just throw that out there. I wonder if Mile High still has that California store. I don't, I don't know. I was, I, yeah. I think they're just down to the one. I think he moved all of his location to uh, the first Denver store. So I think Mile High, that. That one's no longer in existence, if I remember uh, that correctly. They were always so famous. Like every comic book would have an ad for mm-hmm. Mile High and back issues. And I, I went to Denver once and only once, and I did not go to Mile High Comics. I, I kind of kicking myself now. I wish I would have seen that. But th- that's they're legendary. Yeah, yeah. This next part of sections is reminiscent of Batman Year One a little bit, where they're going through the warehouse. The collector's guards are doing the whole, like, hey, come out. You don't have to hide. We just want to talk to you after they just killed one of their friends. And, of course, they're going to try and kill Ray and Channel here. But they get bitten by the Xenozoic. The art is in oranges, purples, and blues, and you see the creature's mouth open right up at Ray. And then as she's closing her eyes, the panels slowly start getting darker and darker. And then you get like this flash on the bottom. Again, sorry for the page numbers here not being in here. But it's really kind of like a little terrifying shot here of all four arms going up against the back part of Ray and that mouth coming out from the inside of its other mouth getting ready to pierce her in the back of the neck and at one point it looks like it rips the back of her costume or her jacket to be able to bite her through and i thought that was really really kind of a creepy set of uh uh, panels there even back in 93 so again we won't spend too much time on this but what'd you think of this little uh, section here it's kind of feels a little bit like the movie aquaman where it's like light and fun and kind of an action adventure and then they go to the the is it the trench or the, the yeah the, the trench and, yeah and, and it just takes a turn and all of a sudden you're in a horror movie but it still actually works and fits and does well so yeah the paneling the layout everything it, it's a little it, the, that stuff's all great let me finish my sentence with the what i thought was a little weird was the collector's reaction of just like pulling out guns and trying to murder the cyber rats like yeah. it kind of seemed a little over the top and over dramatic and, and it's just a little weird and not well thought out because they are able to run away and stuff so yeah that, that was kind of like what, what is going on here a little bit but then you know it was a good setup for the the xenomorph uh <laughs> copy <laughs> to get them and then um was was the North Face a company back in the nineties or I I'm glad you brought that up in yeah. the notes that I have here and I wrote down some stuff of like pop culture things that you're gonna see in this is they mentioned Sears, they mentioned Letterman, one of the cyber rats in a little bit is gonna be wearing a Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation uh, shirt, they mentioned Ego Waffles, and then North Face. So I was looking last night and I'm going to do it really quick. I think North Face has been around since 1965. 
I remember okay. that correctly, so I'm looking really quick. Well, apparently the Drakes have a uh, North Face account because <laughs> Tim likes to shop there. Yep. Yeah, and uh, if I have that right, that they uh, yeah they've been around since 19 oh 1968 is when they were founded in San Diego, California. And this is not a logo of North Face at all. I was looking at a lot of their old logos, and most of them all look like where it has the word North Face written right on top of each other with like the little half rainbow or, you know, quarter circle coming out of the E, H, and E from North Face. So this was never a logo. So this would be something that would be fun if we get a chance to talk to Chuck Dixon again. Was this a happy accident? Was this the artist that was doing this? And uh, I was, I've been cataloging lately a lot of the Chuck Dixon in-universe restaurants and s- sober cola and those type of things. And I thought, oh, North Face is one of them, too. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's a real, th- that's a real thing from our world. So I'm glad you brought that yeah. up, too. And to fill in if people aren't, don't have the issue in front of them what we're talking about. And I really like this part because it shows Tim Drake doing some detective work. Tim goes to a store to undercover called the North Face – and then he do, he uh, hacks online and is able to get the real names for the code names with the the cyber rats. And I like it. I, l- I always love it when they're doing detective work. So, and I, I guess the news out of Hollywood is that the Matt Reeves, Bat- the Batman, is going to focus him on the detective side of Batman. Yeah. So I I was just thrilled when I heard that. So, yeah, that that's some of the stuff that I think is really missing in some of the. A lot of the movies, at least with Batman, if he's the world's greatest detective, I I want to be sitting in the movie theater or even with Robin and trying to figure out, get a little bit of pieces like, can you solve it before Batman? Or when, you know, like in Batman Forever, it's just a series of riddles that make no sense whatsoever, <laughs> yeah. but, but it makes sense in the world. I'm like, that that's not solving anything. You know, at least in The Dark Knight, they were taking parts of the bullet and scanning them and getting thumbprints. I'm like, okay, that's some legitimate detective work, but I'd like to see, you know, a long stretch. And again, I appreciate that Dixon does that so effectively. So going through these next couple sections, you get the GCPD right before that, seeing the the murder scene or what's been going on, Tim's uh, sleuthliness, if I could say that word, and Ray getting her first morphing sensation is the wrong word, but turning into a metahuman and getting her razor uh, sharp arms. So it's affecting her. She's got these hot and cold sweats and her partner, which I'm blanking on his name. I've got it written right here. That is hack rat hack rat. Yeah. And then channel he's been in a coma and unresponsive. He's breathing. So they don't know if he's dead and then his face ends up showing up on a TV screen and he can kind of manipulate what is going on the TV almost like a Max, 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 Max Headroom type of a sentient <laughs> being which his body isn't living but his mind is and it's in the TV so I thought this was kind of clever for the time and I was trying to remember if Max Headroom was a thing in 93 still oh yeah oh yeah so, I mean, it, 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 he was bigger in the early 80s, yeah. or mid-80s, I should say, the late 80s, where he did those Pepsi commercials and stuff. But, oh, yeah, Max Headroom. This is total Max Headroom. Yeah. I liked that uh, section as well. And then Tim is able to find out 
okay, here's what the cyber rats were doing. They were trying to get information from the Wayne Foundation. So if Tim can put out another lead of like, here, here's some information that somebody was wanting. If I can get a hold of that person, then maybe I can find out where the cyber, who the cyber rats were trying to get their information from or where that information was even going. And I like his code name that he uses is Das Boot, which I, th- I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, that, yeah, that was a running joke in my family because they they went to see that movie and it was so boring. Uh, but And they'd always, uh, the person who suggested it would always get grief from it. Like, every time he suggested something, he'd be like, this isn't another Das Boot, is it? But uh, the guy, who's the guy wearing the Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation shirt in the scene where we first meet Max Headroom or Hack Rat or whatever? Uh, that, that, is, that is Hack Rat. That is Hack Rat. Does he faint? Because yes. in that la- okay, so that's what happened. he faints there because yeah. it's it's just got him just like laying there on the ground. It's really weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a really weird panel layout. This part, the art feels a bit rushed. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking for a while reading it last night, especially when Ray is going through her transformation of getting her blades for the first time. Uh, her face just—I don't want to say awful but it does really feel rushed she doesn't look like a teenager in this hack rat doesn't look so bad but she almost looks like she's 40 and she's only supposed to be what uh 16 17 i think yeah she's wearing like boxer shorts and a white tank top it's a weird yeah (laughs) and he's like the the fainted guy's wearing all green he's got green sneakers green pants green socks green (laughs) <laughs> green shirt. They must have had some extra green ink in at DC Comics. And it's weird, too. She wakes up, and Hack Rat is on six different monitors all around her bed. Mm-hmm. Like, how many monitors did she need around her to sleep? <laughs> like, it's just, it's just a weird... It's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's references to I Dream of Genie, Gilligan's Island. They make mention of Ponderosa and uh, Freddy Krueger, the Brady Bunch. So you don't see all of them other than I Dream a Genie and uh, uh, channels also Gilligan from Gilligan's Island here. So I thought this was a nice little funny section. And the gist of this is Ray realizing, I don't know what's happening to us. We've lost and Megabyte's been killed and the collector's trying to kill us. So she's going to be on a vendetta to, to either get this information so she can have a chance to kill the collector Robin and the cyber rats paths are going to cross here pretty quickly. So anything else you have to say on this little section before we basically get to the, uh, the end of the story because things kind of move pretty swiftly throughout here. Not too much other than I guess Gilligan's Island and I dream of genie can get together with Sigourney Weaver and aliens and do a class action lawsuit for <laughs> copyright infringement. But you are right. The artwork, it, changes like right when we get to the scene where they're eating pizza the razor sharp looks like a 50 year old man sitting there and his is and it just yeah she looks awful on these next couple scenes here and just looks like just age wise age 20 30 40 years and hack rat looks different every panel like yeah. he he's his weight keeps changing his his appearance everything so yeah you know i i it must be hard to do a 65 page comic and get it out and all that and there's definitely panels like that then after that there's a scene of robin looking up at a building and this building must have I don't know what, 60 windows on it or so yeah. in here? Like, so obviously, there's you can definitely see some panels where time was taken to get it just right, but you can also see some things that were rushed or very inconsistent. And I think 
that's part of the time as well. You know, this was a time where they were in 93, where they're trying to churn out lots of comics, sell lots of comics, and they don't have the artists and talent like they did because of all the independent comics and image and Marvel taking so much of the talent that you see a lot of inconsistencies or you could see like, all right, so this guy spent a week on this page and then <laughs> rushed through these next 11 because he spent so much time on that page. And, oh, this book, that's interesting. There's seven different inkers and four different pencilers, you know, like, so right. there was a lot of that in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's the... I think you said it best. The the last half of this book, panel inconsistency is really kind of all over the place. Some panels are very good, and others, a lot of them with Ray, I don't I don't think are done very well. Again, that's not me saying somebody's doing a horrible job because I don't know if I would have been able to to pull this off. So I can understand having to do sixty five pages, and this is an annual. This isn't even your normal book you're working on, and this is a Robin annual. It's not even part of a normal series, too. So we're gonna we need an annual for a book that doesn't exist. <laughs> this is the yeah. second second one of those. So I can I can get some of those shortcomings, and I can also understand that this is sixty five pages when normally. Our washing machine just made a whole horrible noise. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> sorry. Did your did your washing machine make a horrible noise, or did your wife pick it up and throw it at you? Because <laughs> it sounded like uh, the xenomorph was crashing through your house, coming for your spinal fluid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Hold on, what's second? Are you all right? Yes. Do you got to go? Tell you what, let's let's do. You want to pick this up later? Sure. Uh, We're on the the scene where. Bane comes in. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll do that. Wake up, little Betty Buys. Have you been Betty Buy? Come on. I'd advise you to yap as little as possible, boys. You've been encased in an enormous echo chamber weighing two tons. Every sound in there will be magnified ten million times even your breathing will sound like thunder <laughs> and don't bother looking for your utility belt I've had it burned <laughs> well, so what's the purpose CW it's so that the drip why can't I get good help Mo turn on the faucet sure you recognize this as a variation of the legendary Chinese water torture. When I throw that switch, the noise will become excruciating, and your eardrums will be shattered. Shortly following that, your brains will be turned into yeah, and then I shall return. And then you can be mine forever, Batman. True, I'll have to sacrifice your intellect. Oh, well... With a built like yours, who cares? After all, one can't have one's cake and uh, eat it too. <laughs> Ta-ta. Sounds! What sounds? Will Batman? 
to a handsome robot fit only to serve Catwoman? Is Robin to become little more than a cuddly teddy bear for Edie? The answer to these and other ear-shattering questions tomorrow. Same cat time, same cat channel. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media. Also, over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.